After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. All together. As they, As they were, were coming, coming down, down the mountain, the mountain Jesus, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until, until the, the Son, Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The good news of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. We've already worshiped together, and so good to see you all here. Uh, this, uh, for being flexible last Sunday, last minute, to meet on Zoom. Uh, and it's just good to be back together. Hello, folks on Zoom as well today. And today, as uh, Sandra shared, is the second Sunday in Lent, and we've been given the opportunity to have another go at this particular passage. I don't know if you remember, but two weeks ago was Transfiguration Sunday. It was the last Sunday before Lent began, and we... Well, a couple of things. I had to be away. So we were in Calgary for my mom's 90th. And so I, my friend Mark Wallenberg came, some of you will remember, and spoke on International China Concern, this wonderful organization that uh, takes abandoned and um, uh, disabled children and gives them a home, either works with their family to support them in their home or provides a home for them. Remarkable ministry. And so I kind of gave up the transfiguration theme for that reason. But as I thought about it, I, I think there's actually something profound about the fact that we highlighted International China Concern on Transfiguration Sunday. And to my great joy, I found out that for this week, the readings, we had a choice of transfiguration or the, the John 3 passage of Jesus with Nicodemus. And I thought, well, why not? Let's go for transfiguration. So we still get it. Yay. And I want, I, I, I think it's so important in Lent to understand this, this passage. I think the transfiguration Sunday, there's some genius behind uh, having that um, uh, event kind of lead us into to Lent. So what I'd like to do is just give a few uh, preliminary remarks. First of all, the, there was something that happened just before this reading today. If you recall, so here Jesus goes up on this high mountain with three of his disciples. But just before that, about eight days prior, there was this very significant event where the disciples were here. And this, Kathleen and I have been here. This is an area in the Bible times was called Caesarea Philippi. I'm not sure what it's called now, but it's close to Syria. 
really close to Syria. And um, what happens is you have uh, the Sea of Galilee, if you could imagine. And west of the Sea of Galilee, you have Israel and then the uh, today Palestinian territories. And then you have the, the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, east of uh, the Sea of Galilee, you have kind of this area called the, in Bible times, Caesarea Philippi. Kathleen and I have been there. And it's a beautiful area. For those of you that know Calgary, it reminds me of Bragg Creek a little bit. Just kind of that, it's kind of got this dry vegetation, but there's waterfalls and, and you know, it's kind of in foothills. And this is a foothilly area. And those caves that you see there, and remember Jesus said in that passage, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell. Those caves were regarded as the gates of hell by the people that lived back there. It was kind of the, the door to the underworld. So it was quite a graphic. I mean, Jesus didn't have PowerPoint, but he, he you know, he milked his surroundings to give a visual uh, presentation of his, his message. And uh, so it, it's a beautiful area and really close. This water is flowing from a very high mountain nearby. Does anybody know what it is? I don't know what, I don't know if it's still called that today, but in Bible times, it was called Mount Hermon. And it's, it's about 10,000 feet, which if you consider they're close to sea level, that's pretty high. Like we have Rockies that are that high, but they start a lot higher too, don't they? And um, so it's a very high mountain that, and the snow melt uh, brings these waters down. And, and it's here that at Caesarea Philippi that Jesus had that famous conversation. Do you remember where he said, to his disciples, they were on a retreat, by the way. I'm glad Jesus took retreats. It's a good model for us, isn't it? He got away with his disciples. It was a great place to hang out. When Kathleen and I were there, there was a lot of school kids that were taking excursions there, and they had these semi-automatic rifles on their back, 16-year-old kids running around. They, there was such a high state of vigilance and uh, uh, threat of terror, terrorism, so they were all, it was uh, very uh, gripping for us to be there and to recall this story in the Gospels. And um, you'll remember he asked his disciples, hey guys, since we're on this retreat, can you tell me who people say I am? And of course they obliged and said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're you know, one of the prophets, uh, Jeremiah or Elijah. But he said, what about you? Who do you say I am? And they all got really quiet. Because then that's risky, isn't it? You can just say, well, generally, here's what people, well, what about you? So Peter, being Peter, he just blurts it out. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus turned to him and said, home run, Peter. Woo. Blessed are you, Simon. No, he called him Simon, which means reed shaken in the wind. Simon, son of John, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father, you're getting it. It's starting to sink in, Peter. And then he pronounces more blessing on Peter, doesn't he? He says that I'm going to give you the keys of the reign of God on earth, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And on this rock, right in this location, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell, there they are, will not stop the church's advance. But then, 
He pulls a fast one on them and he says, don't tell anybody. That's mean, right? To have this kind of experience and then he says, don't tell anybody. And he, he immediately begins, Jesus begins to predict that he's going to suffer and he's going to die. He's going to be delivered to the hands of religious leaders and they're going to sentence him to death. He's going to be executed. And on the third day, they missed this part. <laughs> Did you notice that? They missed this part. On the third day, he said, I'll be raised again from the dead. They didn't hear that. They just heard the bad part, right? We're kind of like that. We have this negative filter, don't we? And he, and he said, uh, so, so Peter takes him aside and says, Lord, I need to sort you out. I'm, I feel anointed today, so I'm going to sort you out. And Jesus turns to him. He doesn't say, Peter, that's wrong. He says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> now, Sander was talking about highs and lows within just a few, you know, talking about a high and low. He's been, he had a revelation from God, and the next minute he's being called Satan, right, by Jesus. That's, that's serious, right? Consider the source. And uh, he says, for you, Peter, do not have in mind the concerns of God, but the concerns of people. And, and merely human concerns is what he said. And furthermore, not only am I going to suffer and die and be raised to life, but anybody who follows me, same road. Same journey. You will suffer. You will die. But same end. All will be well. Right? And then he says, there's some of you standing here who will not taste death till you see the reign of God come in power. And then we come to this story. Eight days later, they go up this mountain. This is Mount Hermon. And it's near Syria, right? I think it's, it's or maybe in Syria. I don't, it's close to the border anyway. And, um, uh, you know, traditionally, the tourists, they are taking to Mount Tabor. But the reason they go to Mount Tabor is because it's a lot more accessible for the tourists. So it makes a lot more money, right? <laughs> but most scholars believe it was probably Mount Hermon. That Jesus took his disciples. He said, let's go for a walk. And they walked and they walked. There's three of them, right? They walked and then they started to climb. And they're talking. And it's kind of hard to talk when they're out of breath, but they're having a talk. And they make, make it somewhere near the top of this mountain. And he, he says, excuse me, I think I'm going to spend some time in prayer. So they're nearby. And, and so here's an artist's depiction. This kind of happened. It says that his face shone like the sun. And he was transfigured. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. And he was transfigured. And the Greek word is metamorpho where we get the word metamorphosis. So if you could imagine, so it's not like he changed into something else. Who he really was came out, right? And um, so there's this metamorphosis that they see and, and it's, it gets kind of scary for these guys. And it says Moses and Elijah showed up. Now, I don't know how they knew it was Moses and Elijah. I can just see Moses showing up and saying, Hi, guys. My name's Moses. Pleased to meet you. I don't know. Maybe Jesus said, Hey, guys, I know you're freaked out. This is Moses. Say hi to Moses. You know, come on, don't be shy. Right? 
And here's Elijah. Oh, Elijah. See the guy that called down fire from heaven? All right, just watch your P's and Q's here, right? And, and they're having a little, con little small group with Jesus there on top of the mountain. And Peter, it says, now this is the third time now, Peter, you know, he's one for two, right? Third time, Peter says, Lord, this is amazing. Moses, Elijah, you, look at you now. He says, let's build three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And of course, he was referring to the Feast of Tabernacles, which in the Jewish uh, storyline was an announcement that the reign of God had come. And so Peter was saying, it's here. We've arrived. Woohoo! Let's kick the Romans' ass. Oops, sorry. This is church. This is church, right? And, and so uh, Peter says, this is so awesome. And of course, God says, uh, Peter, not so fast. Um, there's still some stuff to happen here. And at that point, he was interrupted by a, a bright cloud that covered them. And a voice said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Does that ring a bell? Lent, wilderness, baptism. Huh? This is my beloved son. So the three disciples hearing the voice and, and seeing the cloud did what seemed to be the right thing to do. They fell prostrate on their faces. That seems like the right thing to do. But what does Jesus do? He comes up to them. He reaches down and touches them and says, get up. Don't be afraid. And when they got up, they saw no one except Jesus. So this, and then they're then he, then he does it again. This is so tormenting. He says, don't tell anybody. <laughs> you know, right? They had to hold this secret for how long? Another year or two, right? Or until after the resurrection. And there are a lot of questions this passage engenders. And... And it should, it is meant to. In fact, that's the best way to read the Bible, just to ask questions. You know, why did this happen? What's going on here? How, what has this got to do with my, you know, grade nine exam tomorrow or whatever it is, right? What, it's good to ask these questions. Now, we, we know that both Moses and Elijah had these encounters with God on a mountain, like this one. And Moses represented the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. But God says about Jesus, listen to him. In other words, Moses is good. Elijah was good. But Jesus is the full revelation of who God is and is now the interpretive key for all of Scripture. The law and the prophets now must be seen through the life and the words of Jesus. And if we, if we do so, then we won't use the Bible to kill people. We won't use the Bible to do all the horrible things that Christians have done through the centuries. We won't do colonialism. We won't do, you know, the Crusades. And we won't do the, uh, the Inquisition. I just, read the, I just read the Grand Inquisitor the other night in the middle of the night from the brothers Kamaratsov, you know, Daskovsky's book. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's a trip. And 
And, but that whole inquisition where we burn people at the stake for being heretics won't happen if we interpret the Bible through the eyes of Jesus, through the, in light of Christ. He is now the interpretive key. Secondly, it says Jesus was transfigured or metamorphized where we get our word metamorphosis, like a butter, butterfly that emerges from a cocoon of a caterpillar and a tadpole. As a kid, I used to be so fascinated by these, by a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. And, and we'd watch these little tadpoles swimming around and I'd say, mommy, is that gonna become a frog? Yeah, you wait long enough, there's a frog there. There's a frog there somewhere. And I was, I was so fascinated by this. And so here's, here's the point. If you forget everything else I say to, today, this is so key. All my life, I was taught that, that G, what, what's going on here is that Jesus was God and he was in disguise by being human. And so what happened here on the mountain is that the, the disguise got taken off. It's like, the disciples got this peekaboo. He's God. Ah! Right? It's kind of like, I don't know, some science fiction thing, right? And how many kind of heard that interpretation? You know, it's kind of like Jesus was kind of veiled. He was God. You know, like we sing in the Christmas song, God had veiled by humanity, right? We sing that. So the, the interpretation I've always heard was that Jesus was, was in disguise as God and then that disguise got off, and that's why he kind of looked like that for a few minutes. It's kind of like a little peekaboo from God, you know, before he goes back to being human again. But what if, walk with me in this. Let's, 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 uh, let's journey here. What if the transfiguration was God pulling back the veil so we could see Jesus' true humanity? Now, stay with me. What if the transfiguration gives us a glimpse of the true identity of all of us? Of er how God sees every human being. Whether they're young or old or rich or poor or homeless or... Like those children in International China Concern. What if each of us are God's beloved son, daughter, child, that gives God infinite delight. And if it is true that we are in the image of God, but veiled by our mortality, is it possible that Jesus was not only giving the disciples a glimpse of who he was, but who they were? What if every one of us contained within us glory? As C.S. Lewis said, such a weight of glory that if we really saw each other, we'd be tempted to fall down and worship each other. So if that's the case, then where was Jesus? Where was his deity revealed? Where did we see his deity? What if God showed us who God is really like most of all through this? I don't know where your painting is, Sandra. I was going to show that too. That's why I was looking around. <laughs> what if this was God showing his self-giving love? What if God in the cross revealed 
in an age when that was so filled with multiple gods who were capricious and malevolent and, and moody and grumpy and, and territorial and, and tribal and nationalistic. What if God showed that God so loved the world? He gave his only son. I love this. I think Marcus gave this to me as a gift a long time ago. The indigenous Jesus. I love that. Oh, sorry. I'm not very good at aesthetics here. Ooh, is that okay? So, the crucifixion is where the, and Jesus said that, didn't he? He often in John referred to the crucifixion as when his glory would be revealed. I'll be lifted up and I'll draw, I'll draw all people to myself. The cross is the revelation of his deity. And it tells us there will be suffering on our journey. But don't forget who you are. And don't forget you are, you're mortal. You and I are temporal. And I had a, a remarkable experience of this. Uh, when I came back from Calgary on the day, I shared a little bit on this Ash Wednesday, that... Um, I was listening to a podcast, and this guy, I love this, this speaker, uh, Brian uh, Zahn, because he often, he's a real uh, curator of arts, music and arts. And he was talking about this icon. It's, it's probably the no, oldest known Orthodox icon, and it's in St. Catherine's Monastery in the Sinai Desert. And it, they, they do this kind of etching of it through, through uh, heat into a panel. And so it's like from five, 600, right? It's, it's really beautiful. It's called Christ Pentocrator, and I'd never heard of it before. And I, I couldn't quite make out what Brian was saying on the podcast. And no kidding, I'd never heard the term before that I could remember. And within one hour, I'm reading this. New Seeds of Contemplation. And I'm in the last chapter. I've read it several times. This is by Thomas Merton. First time I read it, every chapter I went, what? What? You know? And then I, uh, second time I read it, I went, what? Whoa. What? Whoa. It was, was kind of like that. It's kind of like, it takes time to kind of absorb, right? So I'm, I don't know how many times I've read it through, maybe two or three, but I, I'm reading the last chapter of The General Dance by Thomas Merton. And that word is in the chapter, Pentacra. I'd never heard it. I'd read the book before, but I don't know if I just was zoned out or whatever, but I hadn't seen it. But what, what it means is Christ Almighty, but the genius of the art is that Christ's humanity and deity is somehow in, in, all included in, in the depiction of Christ there. And so Merton says this, God could not bear that his creatures should merely adore him from a distance, remote, transcendent, and all-powerful. This was not the glory that he sought for. Because if he were merely adored as great, his creatures would in turn make themselves great and lord it over one another. That's where the, you know, colonialism and domination and patriarchy and all this stuff comes from. For where there's a great God, there are also godlike people who make themselves kings and masters. 
And if God were merely a great artist who took pride in his creation, then humans too would build cities and palaces and exploit others for their own glory. Sound familiar? The slave trade. I mean, our whole society was built on slavery and stolen land, right? This is the meaning of the myth of Babel and of the tower builders who would be as gods with their hanging gardens. So, I love this. God said, I do not laugh at my enemies because I wish to make it impossible for anyone to be my enemy. <laughs> Merton. Therefore, I identify myself with my enemy's own secret self. Oh, I, you know, this is my Monday Sabbath and I'm going, ah! So God became human. He took on the weakness and ordinariness of humans and he, God hid himself, becoming an anonymous and unimportant man in a very unimportant place. And he refused at any time to lord it over us, to be a king or to be a leader, or to be a reformer, or in any way superior to his own creatures. He would be nothing else but their brother and their counselor and their servant and their friend. He was in no accepted human sense an important person, though since the time we have, we have made him that, the most important person. And that's another matter, for though it is quite true that he is king and lord of all, the conqueror of death, the judge of the living and the dead, the pantocrator, there it is, yet he is still also the son of the human one, the hidden one, unknown, unremarkable, vulnerable. He can be killed. And when the son of human, the human one was put to death, he rose again from the dead and was again with us. For he said, kill me, it does not matter. For in becoming human, God became not only Jesus Christ, but also potentially every man and woman that ever existed. In Christ, God became not only this man, but also in a broader and more mystical sense, every man, every woman. And one more little sentence. And indeed, if Christ became man, it is because he wanted to be any man or any human and every human. If we believe in the incarnation of the Son of God, there should be no one on earth in whom we are not prepared to see in mystery the presence of Christ. Wow. So we have this mystery. C.S. Lewis, when he talked about the glory in each one of you, he says, the most boring, uninteresting person of you, if you saw who they really were, you'd be tempted to fall down and worship. The weight of glory you know, I was kind of tested with that yesterday. There was a long lineup at Shoppers. I couldn't use the self-checkout because I was buying a gift card for my son. And, you know, you have to go through a cashier to do the gift card thing. And so I was stuck in this long line, and it was really long. And both cashiers were stuck with customers who were having issues with their points card. And somebody had a big, multiple buggy. This is Shoppers. They looked like they were shopping at Costco. And it was just like, Whoa! Just so much stuff. And, and all of a sudden, I could smell this smell. So there was this, this, this family, two or three people, and this smell was really revolting to me. It was like, oh, gosh. So I'm standing there in line, 
And, and I think it was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he said, I think the Lord said to me, what, what were you just preparing to preach to your people about? Oh, yeah. That every human being has the glory of God in them. Do you see it now? Do you see it now? And I had to take a deep, well, not a deep breath. I turned my, it took a deep breath the other way. I said, Lord, help me. Help me, yeah. And then I just, I just began to sense that revulsion went to reverence. That the, these could be Jesus in, in disguise, right? And, uh, and then I thought, well, you know, I stink sometimes too. Right? <laughs> Join the human race, right? Uh, and so Jesus says, what would happen? What would happen if we really believed this about ourselves? about this glory of God in us, about the person sitting next to us, about a child, about the addict that's lying on the street homeless. What if we actually saw that in our enemies? And like Jesus, we just say, Lord, they don't know what they're doing. Or as my mom said to me when I spat in a guy's face when I was 11 years old, Gordy, what got into you? That's not who you are. That's not who you are. A lot of this, like Sandra said, it's like remembering who we are. Remembering who God is, but remembering who we are. That's why we come together. Remind each other who we are. Right? Paul, and I got to quit in two minutes, but Paul, when he wrote the Ephesians, said for uh, three chapters, he took three chapters in Ephesians, he says, you're this. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. You're chosen. You're accepted. You're loved. You, are, you make God wealthy. It just goes on and on and on. The, the love of God is in you. There's a treasure in you. He goes on for three chapters. And then finally at the end of three chapters, he says, oh, by the way, in light of who you are, walk worthy. And how do we do that? He said, with all gentleness, humility, Patience and perseverance, endurance. So, Lent is a season to see afresh who we are in the light of who Christ is. To listen to him. To put airplane mode on on all the other voices and tune into him and hear what he's saying. Who we are, reminding us who we are. So how might the meaning of what the transfiguration reveals. And by the way, I have since, you know, N.T. Wright, Merton, numbers of, I'm amazed how many people are out there that see this interpretation of the transfiguration. I don't know why I didn't see it before. But, that Jesus was revealing his humanity and the cross revealed his deity. How might the meaning of what the transfiguration reveals impact circumstances or relationships in your life? Right now. Can we go into silence for a moment and just hold that? And just listen. And ask the Holy Spirit to come. And in light of who we are, in light of who Christ is, in light of who we are, how does this impact maybe circumstances you're facing right now? And relationships you may be in right now. So, Lord, 
in this Lent season, remind us who we are. And as you do, open our eyes to see to see you, to see your glory in every child, every boy, every girl, every person who identifies as LGBTQ, every man, every woman, rich, poor, homeless, addicted, broken, who are not like us, who are the other, may we see you high and lifted up, yeah. Not looking off into some corner of the universe, but looking into their eyes. May we see you. Lord Jesus, help me. I'm so broken. I'm so limited. I want to be an expression of who you are. In this life, in this short temporary time, I have left. We have left. Lord, we want to be that as a body, as a church. Come, Holy Spirit. And as Aaron uh, was instructed by the Lord and by Moses uh, to place the name of God, the God's name, which is a description of God, God's goodness, I say to you, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. Lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.